And now we had a new baby, someone who at some point I was going to have to say, hey, follow your dreams, do what you love. And how big of a hypocrite am I if I'm telling my kids to follow their dreams while I'm driving to a job that I hate every day? Hello and welcome to Building a Furniture Brand with Ethan Abramson, the show that talks about the business behind the furniture business. On this episode, I sit down with Michelle and Bobby Johnson, co-owners of the company Colors of the Wood. Jumping in with no safety net, making the move to full-time with a young family, focusing on brick and mortar, not internet rankings, building local relationships, not nationwide connections. Michelle and Bobby are not following the crowd when it comes to their company, but they are seeing year-over-year growth and are continuing to build a company that adheres to their notion of success, not anyone else's. So how are they doing this? Follow along as we talk about embracing your passions, the personal touch when it comes to customers, working together to grow your business, and much more. So let's start the episode and hear about Michelle and Bobby's journey in their own words. My wife and I, back in 2017, we actually, to just start with a slightly non-woodworking spin, we, after getting married, had our first child who came to us prematurely. He was born 10 and a half weeks early. And with him, we spent two months in the NICU. And at that time, we were both working our full career positions. Um, Michelle was in hospitality and I was working in commercial insurance. And going through all of that, I would come home each evening and I just needed some kind of a release. And truly, for no real reason, I started woodworking. I bought a miter saw and a few clamps and very little else. And I would work in the office for my nine to five and I'd come home, we'd have some family time. And then in the evening I'd go out in the garage and I would just tinker and use it as a release for my mind. As time went on, I found that I was enjoying the woodworking part a heck of a lot more than my career part, but we had a mortgage and a (laughs) four month old at home. So I kept my head down in both areas. Eventually, we kind of reached an inflection point where I couldn't do both well. Uh, My career was going fine, but I wasn't committing myself to it. And we wanted to see if the woodworking side of it was tangible. So I eventually quit my job. Thanks to my wife, really, she knew that I was miserable in my old role. I would come home for a month, literally every day, and she'd be like, did you quit your job yet? No, I couldn't. I was too afraid. (laughs) And a few more days, did you quit your job yet? No. Finally, the day came where I did. Long, long start short, it was within a few months of quitting my position that we were just walking through town in our in our local city here. And we saw a store with a for rent sign. And at that point, we didn't even really know what our business was. I was just making cutting boards in the garage, mostly for fun, mostly to gift family and friends. We figured this is why, this is why I quit. So let's give it a try. 
So we opened our store in, I, I think it was that. late summer, 2018. Okay. Yep. Mm-hmm. So we opened our store in late summer of 2018 mm-hmm. and it was truly like that moment changed our business in such a tangible way. The store fundamentally changed our trajectory mm-hmm. from just kind of poking around online and trying to chase leads through Instagram messages and Facebook to having a place where people directly came and found us. Um, it was really a few years after that where I was starting to feel frustrated because our business was growing a lot and I was the only one at that time running the business. So I was spending half of my days in the store and the other half of my days building in the workshop. And we were pretty quickly getting to the point where I couldn't keep up on the building side and what value really does a store have if you have nothing to sell or <laughs> we're only as good as is what i build um for our income so fortuitously and i hate to say it that way um when COVID happened my wife was furloughed from her position and that is when um we started chatting between us and We've said, hey, what do you think about working the store? This is a show about business and about building a business. And it can seem all encompassing and and stressful and like it's everything. It's the entire world. But like your story shows, there are parts of your life that mean more than your business. And you started this in an incredibly stressful situation and none of the things in business will probably be ever as stressful as what you went through with your child and that experience that led you into woodworking. So it's always good to have that perspective and to be able to think back on your life when business seems like it's weighing down on you and there's no way out. Just remember that it is your business. And yes, it's the way you make money, but there is a life that you're doing this business for, which is the more important part at the end of the day. Now, we heard your side of the story, but there are two of you. So I'd like to hear the other side of the story as you were building this, as you were going through this creative expression that turned into a business. What was the other side of that story looking like? For sure. Um, So he covered a lot of it to kind of just give my two cents and give my perspective of the same story. From the beginning, it was just Bobby's thing. And from my perspective, I could see him like every day kind of coming home from work and doing that thing that like we're all supposed to do, just faking it in the corporate world when like we're not really happy and we're not really enjoying it. And knowing that like he needed to be doing something different, but we didn't know what that was yet. And I always knew he was a very creative person, very artistic. Um, The woodworking kind of was newer though, and we didn't know what it was going to be. And really he merged the two together and it just fit, like it just seemed to work. Um, But it was very hard at the beginning because you know, every evening he was doing that before, like while he was still doing his job and it was hard to juggle both. And it was a huge risk to quit his job 
And we didn't know what, how it was going to work or if he was going to get a different corporate job. And once we finally decided to, when we came across that store, it's like, it was this small space that was right downtown North. Hill. we just happened to see it. It just felt right. Like, I don't, I don't even know how to explain it. It just felt right. And taking that risk, just like he said, it fundamentally changed everything I felt like. And our business would not be where it is now if like we wouldn't have if we wouldn't have made that decision and just went for it. I think so many people always have that idea in their head that they just want to go for it full time and like just do it, but a lot of people don't actually do it. And we just we just decided to do it and just, you know, if foolishly <laughs> the worst ways. thing that could happen <laughs> is that we try doing something that that he absolutely loves and is good at, and it fails, but at least we could say we tried, right? Like he said, I still had my corporate job and then COVID happened and I, I got furloughed. And I say, he kind of he kind of pulled me over to the dark side. I say that in the best way possible though, because now that I'm working the store, I literally could not picture it any other way. I absolutely love working at our store. <laughs> And for me, it was funny because I kept up with the corporate world thinking, I'm still going to do this. Like, I'm still going to be in this corporate world. It's more stable. Like, I'm still going to do this. Thinking I was passionate about it. Like, I felt like it was one of those things you just tell yourself that you're passionate about it. But really, they were hard hours. Like, it was tough. I got yelled at a lot. Like, having just that, like, stress of, like, someone telling you what to do every day or like you're not doing a good enough job and having to follow all these guidelines like corporate stuff it's very hard like i thought it was actually very hard and it wasn't until after i started working in the store that i realized how how freeing it actually felt to be in the store like and not have to worry about someone telling me what to do and to like do things the way i want to and it felt so much more meaningful every day too, just like being able to connect with our community that we grew up in. I completely hear you. I hear the passion from you about having your own thing, about going to work every day and putting in those hours to have you go ahead, your company, both of you succeed rather than putting that in for a corporate entity that you that doesn't really care about you that much. Exactly. Like that's less of a vested yeah. Exactly. Yeah, maybe that's a better way no, to do that, it. No, that's mm -hmm. it. And this is something that you do care about. But it is also a business at the end of the day. And maybe you don't want to build it to that, that faceless corporate entity that you left, but you want to build it into a business. So besides feeling like you hated your jobs or you didn't want to be there anymore, was there anything else that you put into place before you made that jump? Or was it just a leap of faith and said, life is too short, let's make this happen? Yeah, in all honesty, um, it, it truly was a leap of faith in a lot of ways. When we made the decision to open our store, we only had two art shows under our belt. We had done a small festival in the city where we grew up and we had done a Christmas market. That was really it. We had very little experience. We did not have our own website at that point. We didn't have a big customer base by any means. 
I say that the store found us because it really did. When we were walking through town that night and saw the for rent sign, we looked at each other and we said, I guess we're opening a store. It just clicked. It just made sense. We didn't have like much traction yet. Yeah. And so we felt like if we're going to really pursue this business and really make it into something real, this is the universe showing us how. And we need to take that leap of faith and and try it and open it and see what we have here. It's so cliche, but it's true to follow your dreams, to pursue your passion. And at that time, before I had quit my corporate job, I was lying to myself. And now we had a new baby, someone who at some point I was going to have to say, hey, follow your dreams, do what you love. And how big of a hypocrite am I if I'm telling my kids to follow their dreams while I'm driving to a job that I hate every day? We're going to get back to the the brick and mortar store because it's a different path than a lot of people are taking now with getting on the top of every search result and and all that. You went a completely different way. So I do want to get into that, but I want to get into also how you started scaling up your business. I would call your business very small town based, and that's not looking down on it. That's actually how I think you would describe it yourselves. And that is very community based and you know your customers. It's not like you're just shipping product all over the world to random people. You are in the community. Your business is growing up with the community and the human connection is how you're growing. So in your context, small town is exactly how you would like to describe it. With that human element, with that knowing your customer also comes a little bit of a tricky position because prices go up, something's not in stock, something changes. How are you doing your pricing for these products to keep your customers coming in, but end of the day, still running a business that you're making money on? Yeah, that's a great question. Pricing is very tricky, especially from the standpoint that we do, like you mentioned, have so many SKUs, not just in terms of cutting boards, charcuterie boards, coasters. Within each of those categories, the amount of variations we have is immense. So finding the correct pricing on those items is is a challenge. There's certain items that we have very comfortable set prices on, like for all sets of coasters, kind of irregardless of the pattern, irregardless of the design laser engraved onto it, we can keep that as a set price. Within our serving trays, if a certain if a serving tray is a certain size, regardless of the wood types in it, we use so many wood types. Over time, it all averages out where each serving tray, even if one has a little bit more of an exotic wood feel than another, it averages out over time. We're having a set price on that works for us and it also really works for our customers where they can come into our store or our website or wherever it is and look around and 
and we can say any serving tray in this size is generally going to be this price. And so they don't have to do all of that thinking on the back end that we're, that we're doing. In terms of actually honing the price in, we've always had the mentality that what good is building something that's super cool, but priced in a way that people can't afford it. In a lot of ways, we feel like what we're making is art and the best way to grow as a business is to get your products, your art, whatever it is in the world where people can touch it, handle it, appreciate it. And so by getting it out to people that then sits on their kitchen table or propped against the backsplash in their kitchen, and when they have people over, that's eyes on our product. So we could hide behind having these expensive prices and have it be an unattainable thing. But at the end of the day, it's not out in the world then. So we do our best to manage our profit margin in a way where we are getting a price to us that's fair and allows us to continue to grow our business, but also a price that's tangible for our customers. For the most part, we found that by having so many SKUs, it allows us to average out between items. The profit margin on this board versus this set of coasters versus this keychain can be different. But if we sell enough of each of those different SKUs, we can benefit from a profit margin being higher on a keychain and lower on a cutting board, provided that we're able to sell people a variety of things. I think he said it exactly right, where like the pricing is just such a fine line to walk where um, you don't want to make it too expensive where it's just not affordable for people but we want it to be something also that's really appreciated that it is handmade and so for that reason we don't really do like sales or discounts for that reason because it would cheapen the work that we've put in like and that the fact that it's handmade and like the product that it is so because he can do different sizes of things and and have so many different, like you said, SKUs, we can cater to different price points, but we generally try to stay consistent with our prices because we already are a little bit on the high end side and we don't want to make it unaffordable, but we don't want to make it where we're suddenly discounting something either. So what what I think we try to do is just showing people that we appreciate it when they buy something. And sometimes we'll throw in an extra little item for them so that they feel appreciated that they actually invested in us and um, supported us. And the other part I didn't quite touch on yet, but has been interesting going back to the scaling, like the, the small town part is what matters to us and what is meaningful. But it's interesting because the word of mouth has led us to other avenues as well. Like we've had some really big corporate orders where we put a company logo on something and end up doing hundreds of serving trays for this company. And that's not very, you know, small town or not really that much of a personal connection. Um, And just kind of like navigating that because the small town connection was ultimately what led us to someone that knew someone that knew someone that is a corporation and does want hundreds of serving trays. And so that has happened to us as well. It's a funny line to walk. (laughs) Yeah, someone who comes in our store to pick up their laser engraved single 
um, serving tray for a wedding has no idea that in the background I'm working on a 450 serving tray project that is never going to go through the store in any way. The store gives us the front end to network and communicate and find new customers. Mm -hmm. And we've always had the mentality that if we treat those customers in the very best possible way, they're going to become advocates for our business in a way that the public doesn't even know about because we can we can work on these projects on the back mm-hmm. end. It always comes back to the quality of your product, but it also comes down to the quality of the interactions you have with your clients. You could have an amazing product, but terrible customer service, terrible client relationships. And once somebody buys something, that's it. They're not recommending, they're not sharing it with their friends. And that's a one and done sale. But you all have been focusing on that. You've been focusing on the client relationships. And that's really what's been pushing your business forward. I want to go back to the brick and mortar because I think that that's important. And I was going to ask you how you feel it's helping your business or hurting your business in a very internet driven world. But I think that this entire interview so far has shown that not only is it helping your business, but it kind of is your business. It's the backbone of your business. And it was just a a jump in mentality at the beginning, but it turned out to be the best thing for your business. It was where you planted the flag in the community, but also where you centered your business. So I think that we can all agree that you would say, a brick and mortar store has helped your business succeed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I would say one of the things that the brick and mortar gave us is a sense of credibility where in our community, having that space where people can go and find us, they know where we are. They we're not hiding behind the internet. We're not hiding behind having to communicate with us through email or Instagram messages, they know where they can physically find us. And by being one of those stores in our community where we have a physical presence, it gives people that place to find us. It also has helped us to find those larger corporate orders because of the credibility that having that space gives us. If somebody Mm -hmm. recommends our business, and they're able to come physically walk into our store and talk to us and hold the serving trays, hold the coasters, mm-hmm. hold the charcuterie boards. So that gives us that place versus going back and forth with emails or phone calls. And that helps them really feel comfortable about placing a larger bulk order mm-hmm. because they see, they know the quality and what they're feeling Mm -hmm. and it gives them that place to find that and to find us. So even on a Friday evening at 11 Mm -hmm. o'clock at night, when people are at the restaurant across the street, we leave our light on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We leave that light on and they're able to come look at this billboard for our business, even when we're not there. So in a time of, like you mentioned, internet, Um, everyone fighting for SEO and trying to get their business to pop up first on Google. In our community, our business pops up every night. It's right there. You can't miss it. 
There are a lot of people who hate their job. And I'm just going to say that as a, a blanket statement. And they want to do something else. And they want to start a business like you have. A furniture business, a woodworking business, a home goods business. They want to do something different. And they maybe don't know when the right time to quit is. They don't know what they need to do to set themselves up for success. You went through this path. Both of you went through this path and have come out the other side being successful, doing something that you love, doing it well, and making a living from it. So for people who are looking to make that jump, and also people who have been doing this for a while, but don't feel like they're getting that satisfaction, either on the money side or just enjoying what they're doing anymore. What's some advice that you both could share with those people to help them run their business better? So I don't want to speak for everyone's situations. I've listened to many of your podcasts and uh, there are a lot of different stories and a lot of very cool, interesting paths that people have taken. And one of the themes that I gathered from a lot of the other woodworkers on your podcast story is that it's something they were always around, um, whether they were helping their dad in the garage or um, tinkering with this or that. And the truth is that I never had that. I was always artistic and always had a sense for business, but was not always a woodworker. And when I found woodworking, it gave me that thing where everything clicked. And I completely understand where a lot of woodworkers or just anyone wanting to start any type of business feels like they need to get to some point to justify leaving their full-time job, leaving whatever position is supporting their family while they're working on building their business, working towards their craft. But I would argue that going all in on our business is what allowed us to grow our business into what it is today. If we hadn't fully committed to our business, I don't know that we would have one right now because we would have always been distracted with the thing that supports our family. And again, everyone's situation is completely different and everyone needs to support their family in the way they and in the way they responsibly need to. But the risk of jumping off and being accountable for having to commit to the business, we had no choice but to make this business work because we committed 100% to it. Um, and I just think that if you're always waiting for that safe time to go all in, you may never go all in because really when is a safe time to start a business? I feel like over the years, like some people have come to us either in the store or at an art show and say like, yeah, I've always really thought about like doing this thing and like, I really do like it, but we just never like, you know, decided to actually go for it. And if anything, I hope that we can inspire some people to just to really like just 
go all in in the thing that they love, whatever that is. And I know there's always like that, that voice in the back of your mind of like, you do still have to support a family. You do still have to be logical and all of that and make sure that um, it's going to work out financially. But at least what worked for us is that being really, really good at a certain thing, not like, okay, at a lot of things. And for us, that's been kitchen and home decor, like cutting boards, serving trays, charcuterie boards. That's our like main thing. And we feel like we're really good at it because we're passionate about it and just give everything to it. So even if it's like some little niche, you know, random thing, like just be really good at it instead of dabbling in like a lot of different things. In woodworking, there's a temptation um, to take on all types of projects. Woodworking is so broad and it's something that not a lot of people do. So as a woodworker, I think many of your listeners would agree that once somebody knows you're a woodworker, they will come at you with every type of woodworking project under the sun. And we found that staying in our lane allowed us to focus mm -hmm. on the thing we do best well. So rather than me struggle through this project that isn't part of my normal cadence in the workshop, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I would rather pass that on to someone who's going to do a better job. And then hopefully on the other end, when somebody comes to them and asks for a charcuterie board, they'll pass that on to us. I think there's a lot of opportunity for woodworkers to work together mm -hmm. by specializing yeah. in what we do and passing on the projects to the people who do them best. I hear what you're saying, and that advice is good for anyone in any business. So thank you for sharing it, and thank you both for sitting down with me and taking time out of your busy day. I do appreciate you sharing your knowledge and the good and the bad that's come in your business and how you've taken something from nothing from just a hobby and built it into the careers that it is for both of you. Thank you very much for your time. And I wish you nothing but success moving forward in your business. Likewise, Ethan. Thanks so much Thank for having you. us on. We truly appreciate your time as well. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the show. If you liked what you heard and you got value out of it, please think about leaving a review and subscribing wherever you listen. To learn more about the series, please visit buildingafurniturebrand.com and feel free to reach out anytime with questions or guest suggestions to hello at buildingafurniturebrand.com. You can find me at The Build With Ethan on Instagram. Hope you enjoyed the show and can't wait to bring you the next one.